Mini episode 1603 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everybody. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1602. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with one of my favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, somebody I go way back to with the Sports Talk Network days, my close personal friend, the world's greatest MMA ring announcer, Jake Digman, one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, here to talk the pro graps. There's nobody in the world that's better to break it down with than good old uh, Jake Digman. And uh, we are going to look at WrestleMania 39 today. Uh, the matches on the card, the context behind it, everything going on for the biggest event of the year in uh, sports entertainment anyways. And uh, we should differentiate between that and pro wrestling because the differentiation between the two has been getting starker in the last several years uh, with AEW coming along. More back in the direction of pro wrestling with Triple H, but that may be not long for this world based on what might be happening on a business level. We'll get into all that and much, much more with my pal, Jake Jennings Digman. Jake, good to have you on, buddy. Thank you for being here to talk all things mania. Ah, uh, Ricky, thank you for having me. It is an honor and a privilege to talk to sports kings with you. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do is the uh, one of the things I look forward to WrestleMania week is talking with you and breaking down the card as it is, you know. No matter what you, 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 you say, um, the little kid in me still gets excited for WrestleMania. It's uh, one big event. It's almost like a uh, it's almost like a holiday, as it were. Sure. And I'm, like, I'm looking forward to uh, this, year's, this year's show, and I'm looking forward to breaking down the event with you here today. Oh, yeah. I always look forward to breaking it down with you. I'll be watching it. I'm at the point where, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm watching Mania, I'm watching SummerSlam, I'm watching Royal Rumble. The TV in between, not so much. It's one of those things where I do have to agree with everybody. Things have been on the upswing creatively since Triple H took control last July of creative. And, uh, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, unleashed some of the good creative that he has from within a little bit more so and empowered it. But it's one of these things where when I turn it on my TV, and some of this is the nature of the beast, especially with Raw being a three-hour show and the things they got to do to fill it. It's one of these things where there's a ceiling on just how pro wrestling-y it can be, even with a pro wrestling born and bred guy like Triple H, because the product is what it is. Case in point, I thought to myself Monday night as I was working on some other stuff, I was just going to have it on in the background. Oh, maybe I'll put on Raw tonight. Not something I normally do these days. I put it on. The first thing in the ring was Ms. TV with three of the divas, and I'm just like, screw this. I I'm out. I it's just like, and I don't want to hate on Cleveland's own Mike the Miz Mizanin, but like, there's there's like none of that shtick 
at this, it's 2023, okay? And, and, and the guy is still doing Miz TV on my screen and out there with, it, you know, Becky Lynch has got like a bad script to work off of and they've got this contrived kind of drama with her and Lita and Trish. And I'm just like, life's too short, man. Let's see what else is on the tube. So it's just... Can I put out one thing, though, real quick? Yeah. Damn, damn, does Trish Stratus still look good? Absolutely. Yeah, that's not in question. Trish Stratus is a fine wine that just keeps getting better with age and good for her. To be honest with you, you know, I, I think there's a case to be made of, like, in some ways, looking better as time has gone on, because, like, in the whole, like, debate back in the 90s, you know, I was on the losing end of the debate with most people. Heather Locklear v. Pam Anderson, I was always a Heather Locklear guy. The whole plastic Pam thing, I just wasn't into as much. And Trish seemed to me to be kind of aping the whole plastic Pam look. But, like, as time has gone along and everything like that, and she looks more natural, she's one of these ones where, you know, and I, I know I've, there have been women that I've known personally that are like this, that, like, the more pomp and circumstance you put into it, I think it's counterproductive. Uh, Trish, I think, has a natural beauty to her that is shining through more and more over the years, maybe because she's not getting in the way of it as much. No, you're right. You know, and the thing, too, is the fact that she's free to be herself. Yes. She doesn't have to every single awe the women and even the guys to an extent it's almost like a cookie cutter formula not as bad as it was in I want to say the mid 2000s where every guy where every uh, female diva as it was back then came it was like you know a tall blonde and every um, every male wrestler that came through the system was a jacked up dude with tattoos yes but, you know, tribal tats I, I can't argue with that. Uh, as I had indicated to you off air, a note that I want to start with, I want to take my hat off to Mike Johnson of PW Insider. He had a column that uh, I clicked through to read off of Twitter, and it was talking about this moment in time with WrestleMania 39, and he was comparing this moment in time to November 88, what was basically the birth of corporate wrestling when Turner Broadcasting took over Crockett Promotions, a similar moment with the end of that corporate wrestling in March 2001, uh, again, the week of WrestleMania 17, that was the end of Turner and pro wrestling and the start of Vince having a quasi-monopoly for a long time. And it's a thing where it really it was never like the monopoly. When we were talking about it in the 2000s and the Sports Talk Network days, maybe we were a little bit dramatic on calling it a monopoly, but... Uh, TNA was never on the same level business-wise as WCW. ROH was never on the same level business-wise as ECW. The promotions that came up in their space, and with ECW, remember, they had syndication even before they went to TNN. So ECW always struggled business-wise, but they were always way above ROH, which was just relying on the DVD sales and very scant live gate uh, totals there. So Vince essentially did have a monopoly uh, or, or somewhat of a monopoly for well over a decade and a half. Uh, you, you could argue that it was starting to fade by the time that uh, uh, AEW came around because you were already having New Japan kind of cutting into it and some other things in the 2010s. Uh, but that was very significant. That moment in March 2001, really about 22 years ago right now, this does kind of feel like a very similar moment in time. 
We think of WrestleMania 17 as having been the peak of the Attitude Era with uh, the uh, uh, the second Austin Rock match. You would have another one in 2003, but it wouldn't be nearly as big. It would be in the middle of the card, as a matter of fact. That moment that they had there, ironically, you've got the Rock that had been rumored to be uh, in a comeback against Roman Reigns, had been rumored for a long time since it's going to be in Hollywood this time around. WrestleMania 39, they'd been penciling that in for a long period of time. I'm going to say I think it's not a mistake that it didn't happen as far as these rumors of the sale, the, the, where there's smoke, there's fire. It seems like the Saudis are going to meet the price. If you remember, Jake, at the beginning of January, it was seeming like a done deal. There was a rumor that the sale had already been done surreptitiously to Saudi Arabia, and then that kind of faded away. But they've remained the leading uh, candidate here at this point. Comcast essentially seems to be out of the mix because of the price. They were always the ones that made the most sense because they've got uh, the WWE Network on Peacock. So you've got guys like The Rock. The Rock has got to be leery of being associated with Saudi Arabia. John Cena doesn't work events over there anymore. There's a lot of negative ramifications to the whole thing of them being a Saudi company if it comes that way. So you're looking at the transformation of them potentially into corporate wrestling. And uh, again, I don't know what's going to be worse. Pizza Man Jim Hurd, you know, the equivalent of him getting put in charge of them or Vince McMahon getting turned loose again in creative. I, I'd almost rather take my chances with the Pizza Man, even if he tries to bring back Ding Dong's 2K23. But, uh, you know, whatever we're going to be looking at for WrestleManias going forward, I think Mike Johnson is correct. This is the end of something. We just don't know exactly what it is and what comes from here. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important uh, transitional moment in the history of WWE, and really, uh, which has been you know the face of professional wrestling over you know for the modern era for many many fans out there. It's all that they've known is WWE. Um, I just have to point out, I can't believe that you just advocated for Jim Hurd to be in charge in 2023. <laughs> that's kind of that's, that's a little out there, but you know, I take I him mean, over Vince. I, I, well, you know, I was like, I, I have a philosophy and. Applies to almost everything, and I'm not going to get political on the political road with you on this one. But we've established in this country that 65 is the age of retirement. Mm -hmm. I think for all jobs, 65 should be the age of retirement, and that includes being the chairman of the board and running a the world's largest sports entertainment company. Um, that would be great. There just gets there just gets to be a certain point where you have to like you know pass it on to the next generation, you know. And, in order for the business to thrive, because I don't care who you are, you know, eventually you age out and you're out of um, you're out of touch with the audience. And the whole thing with, that makes uh, wrestling, especially WWE, work is you gotta rope in the younger fan. Very yep. rarely do you see where you know someone's in like their mid thirties and all of a sudden they discover so, you, know, you know pro wrestling and start watching it. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but for the majority of us, we saw it as a kid. And we started watching his kids, and that's what got us into it. And he just gets it on, unfortunately, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending depending on the booking, the creative. Um, it's like, it is the um, longest, the healthiest, and the most abusive relationship we could ever have. Well, yes. Uh, going back to your point about you know, the, the sale and what Saudi, the whole deal with the Saudis, my question is, knowing the backlash that would come from such an announcement and such an endeavor and everything we talked about, do you think it would be out and out the Saudi government comes out and says, oh, we now own this? Or do you think they would try to hide it and channel it through, like, um, basically, like, you know, LLCs or different, you know, uh, 
platform for the UFC is a whole group of investors that are a part of that. Do you think they would do something to the equivalency of saying, okay, the Saudi Arabian government is the one financing this. However, it is, and I'm just going to use Alpha Entertainment, business company made up for the XFL, is the actual on-paper owner. Could you see something like that taking place just in an effort for them, for a PR move, if nothing else, to try to, like, you know, um, get the flames down a little bit because there would be a tremendous backlash if it came out that it was just straight up the Saudi government that is the ones who were uh, the purchasers. Well, I, I would be hesitant to say in the world of sports entertainment slash pro wrestling that it wouldn't be kayfabed, but in this instance, I think it wouldn't be because I think the business model that we're looking at here is live golf. And it's a thing where there's a term that's out there in the world called sports washing, of where this is the Saudi government trying to set themselves up. It's like, hey, we're a bunch of pro-Western guys here. Never mind about the bone saws and the genocide that we're perpetrating in Yemen, allegedly, and all these things. We're, we're good guys here. Like, they're doing it to get their faces out there. They're doing it because they have the insane amount of confidence that they can, by owning such a commodity such as this, make themselves look better in the modern world. So uh, in terms of looking at what they did with Live Golf, I think that's the exact model we're looking at here, which is them being front and center with their investment and trying to exploit it for all it's worth. And uh, I think, you know, taking their lumps on the, the PR uh, sphere as that happens. And then you and I talked about this off here, the ramifications of when, when you have a Sami Zayn, now one of the top stars in your company who's there. You have a Rock and a Cena with Hollywood uh, aspirations and careers, respectively, uh, that what are they going to want to do as far as being associated with them if they become poison? You have other guys out there on the market. This, this generation, a lot of the Gen Z wrestlers out there slash millennials, you know, a guy like Kenny Omega, who's very socially conscious, okay? Is he going to go to a place with, uh, you know, they, they execute gay people in Saudi Arabia, and uh, Kenny Omega is very pro-gay rights, so, you know. So, so, Sonia Deville. Sonia Deville, yes, yes, a, a lesbian. She's not going to be able to work events there. And, uh, again, there's talk that they wouldn't interfere with them in the United States. So it's a thing where... I do believe that is the case, because I think it would be counterproductive for them on that, but you're going to have people that aren't going to want to associate with them. A Sonia Deville, if she had the choice to sign with them as a free agent, wouldn't want to probably do that. Kenny Omega, as a free agent, wouldn't want to do that. So you may see some people playing out their contracts, basically, uh, but you're, you're not going to have a lot of these ones wanting to come in. Anybody that really... Uh, is going to get worked up about these kind of issues, work for a country with a human rights record, a despicable human rights record of Saudi Arabia. I'll say that. I'm not afraid to uh, get political here. Uh, I, I think they're an absolutely loathsome regime. And uh, again, I, I have long advocated for uh, our government to stop its uh, shameless propping up of them and you know favorable deals on these weapons that uh, allow them to perpetrate the genocide that's going on in Yemen, so, you know, but again, that, that's the way it works, though, Jake, the world keeps turning, these things keep happening, and this is a way for the Saudis to try to make themselves look better and more pro-Western, so, you know, yeah, I, I think if it's going down that track, it's going down that track all the way, no apologies on their part, they're just going to keep bringing it, and uh, again, what that leads us to with night one 
the first match here. I mean, it's not impossible that the leadoff match for WrestleMania 39, night one, it could be the last time we see one of the biggest stars in their history, John Cena, in the ring. He's there, I think we both believe, to put over Austin Theory, the United States champion, uh, very transparently to put him over. I'm seeing theories that like, oh, they might go for the WrestleMania moment, Cena beats him and then loses you know, the title back on Raw in an open challenge. I mean, that's not impossible. And look, uh, you know, the, the whole thing last year, they, they should have used Theory to go over Pat McAfee, but they were clearly setting up the bigger thing, Pat McAfee to lose to Vince McMahon, as ludicrous as that was. So Austin Theory lost to the guy who lost to Vince McMahon, but beating John Cena is supposed to do something for him. I give Triple H credit. They've tried to rehabilitate him. I did think it was stupid to have him challenge for the U.S. title with the money in the bank thing, but I think they were backed into a corner by Vince setting him up as the money in the bank guy. Listen, I don't know that it's going to have any kind of effect, but I give Triple H all the credit in the world for trying on rehabilitating Austin Theory as the fallen chosen one who's working his way back up. It's sort of the equivalent of Drew McIntyre if he'd never left the company and was trying to dust himself off and climb back up the ladder from within. Drew Mack had to go outside to do it. They're trying to do it with Austin Theory being on the inside. Points for the effort. I just don't know that the guy's going to get over to the degree they hope he's going to. I mean, you, you got to give him, uh, you got to give, I guess, you know, the A for effort on trying on this one. And after the, uh, the scathing promo that John Cena delivered to Austin Theory, uh, which so many people said buried him right in the middle of the ring on national television, Austin Theory has to go over. It's very uh, akin to a the um, uh, Roman Reigns Cena. Uh, not the one from Summer 70 years ago, but the one from, I think it was like Battleground, I forget which show it was on. But from, I want to say, uh, it was one of Cena's when he came back in right before uh, the, the pandemic hit. They yeah. did a match against each other. And he buried Roman, but Roman went over. And I think that's the whole thing. I think we're going to see a competitive match. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Austin Theory picks up the win. However, I wouldn't be surprised if they went with that, you know, WrestleMania moment of John Cena gets the victory just because a lot of times they do things on Mania because they recognize, in their minds at least, which is, you and I have talked about this for years, where it's like they book for the moment and not for going forward. They book for those people that are watching the eyes that are on it for just that one show instead of being like, instead of using the moment to make a star, how many times over the years have we seen where we said, okay, well, this guy should go over, and then all of a sudden, nope, the other person goes over, and we're just left befuddled. But I've got a feeling, you know, I guess this will be the test if this Triple H is creative, who does have a pro wrestling mind, or if Vince has weaseled his way back into the creative helm. And, you know, I guess this match could be the, the, the telltale sign of what's going on there. But uh, um, I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to go with the... The, the right choice here, and that being that the Austin Theory picks up a win in what should be a career-making match for him if they both have their working boots on. It should be. And, of course, when they get to WrestleMania, when there are promos that absolutely bury a guy, absolutely, it has to be the guy getting buried who goes over. Sincerely, Booker T at WrestleMania 19. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, another one on this one, too, is I don't remember this, was at um, uh, WrestleMania 20, 22, uh, 
Oh, If they sign Jay White, they're, they're likely to have him job in three minutes and give him a bushwhacker gimmick, but that's another story for another time. But, uh, you know, as, as far as it goes with, with theory in this match, yeah, it should be a star-making match, and uh, it will be uh, a memorable moment. I remember the, uh, the WrestleMania 22, the epic post-show we did at the Sports Talk Network, talking about that build, ironically, with John Cena in that match against Triple H. I remember saying... And John Cena, in his promos, did everything but called him Mr. Helmsley in the build-up to it. Like, John Cena was just taking it. And, like, it was just inexplicable as to why. So, of course, he got booed out of Chicago. What do you think's going to happen when something like that goes down? But uh, the, the next uh, match here, and I'm, I'm going by the listing that they have as of this moment here on Wikipedia, for whatever that's worth. So, the next match that we have here, two very polarizing figures in the world of sports entertainment. Seth freaking Rollins, I think he's probably had his name officially changed to that, uh, versus Logan Paul. And uh, again, I, I am a bah humbug guy on Logan Paul. I get that he brings eyeballs to it. He's very athletic. He's worked hard on it. I mean, he's been impressive in the matches he's been in. And this ought to be a spectacle. Both of these guys are spot monkeys. So, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a decent amount of excitement and action here. Um, the thing of it is, is they usually book for the celebs to go over, but Rollins is a guy I think you need to keep in that at least semi-main event mix. And I, I'm just not sure how plausible that is if he loses to a part-timer here. So I, I think Logan Paul's going over, but again, that's a classic example of what you said, Jake, booking for the moment. Because if you're looking at the booking plans, you take care of the guy that's going to be there on Monday night and going forward. Uh, I, yeah, you, you, you're supposed to, but then again, you know, <laughs> everything in the past is, I mean, Vince McMahon wasn't coming back to work on after he beat Pat McAfee, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, I actually going to disagree with you. I think Seth Rollins goes over just based on the build to this. I know a lot of times, you know, they say that, you know, the celebs usually do go over, and I agree with you 100% on that one. Uh -huh. I just think on this one, because he's a heel celeb. And the more people, and I, I, I like Logan Paul. I think he delivers in the ring, and quite frankly, I, you know, if people didn't know his, if he didn't make a name for himself with the whole YouTube thing, and the guy just showed up, I think people would be really behind him. He's an outstanding worker, and I, I enjoy his matches to the point where when he faced Roman Reigns, he does, he was watching, she, for half a second, he made her believe that Roman Reigns was going to lose the belt to 
Logan Paul. And that's the magic of it. And if you can do that, especially as a celebrity and somebody who's very, has been in this, uh, the game for a very short amount of time, you know, kudos to him. I think this one has the potential, honestly, to steal the show. It really does, in my opinion. And Seth Rollins is a great storyteller inside the ring. Logan Paul has shown, you know, he's got great dance partners and he's willing to learn. I'm going with Seth Rollins because coming out of this, there's going to have, you know, they're going to have to have some stars and some ideas going forward. And Rollins has just, you know, lost so many times. And again, the buildup to this being, you know, this is almost like his redemption arc from last year's WrestleMania where he lost to the the re-debuting Cody Rhodes. Uh, you you, you got to go with, with Rollins here. Um, if for nothing else, like like we said, the old, he's going to be here on, on Monday. And um, we'll get to when we get to the main event. I think they're going to be lacking you know, uh, a couple of main event stars for a while. They're going to take some time off after this, no matter what happens after this card. And Seth Rollins is somebody who uh, can fit right into that spot if necessary. So I'm going to take uh, Seth freaking Rollins to pick up Right. And by the way, too, uh, Logan Paul being plausible at moments for beating Roman Reigns on that match on one of the Saudi Blood Mania shows there, that's one of those things where it's it's like a backhanded compliment that, toward the promotion for making it believable. Because in late era WCW, a lot of things that were implausible became plausible because they were that stupid. It was like, my God, they might actually put the world title on David Arquette in this match. They did, you know? So a little bit of making it plausible, Jake, is the thing of like, yeah, they might just be dumb enough to chase the headline of Logan Paul getting this and to basically take the entire investment they put in Roman Reigns and dump it on Logan Paul. There is that thought that they could have been stupid enough to do it, which in a way plays into the plausibility of the match and is beneficial. So it, it's sort of like recycling poop into usable food, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is literally just an analogy that just came to mind here uh, momentarily. But uh, speaking of poop, uh, let's talk about this uh, six, six women tag team match. And listen, Jake... This is reminiscent of the bad old days of the booking when Vince was running the show of like, oh, what do we do for Mania? Let's just throw this thing together here. The whole direction of this, it's Trish, Lita, and Becky. Lita and Becky being the tag team champions, but there will be no title defense under the circumstances versus damage control. Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky. And that's one of those things where, again, this is a feud that started at uh, SummerSlam, Becky Lynch, uh, you know, going out with her uh, injury that uh, they blamed on damage control. And it's a stable that hasn't gotten over to the degree that they hoped that it would. They're still kind of chasing it here. You have a WrestleMania where Becky Lynch is available, Ronda Rousey's available. We'll get to her later. You, you could have had that match. Nobody ever got to see a one-on-one between them, and you can't tell me that people wouldn't pay to see it now. You could be doing anything in the world with Trish and Lita, but you fold them into this match here. I, I just give this one the big fat raspberry as far as it, it feels thrown together, and almost everybody involved in this match deserves better than to be part of a forgettable non-title six-woman tag team match. I hate it. I'm, I, I'm not as vehement in, in, in hating it as you are. However, I do have to put it, and I'm glad you brought it up, that how much things have changed where we went from, you know, the potential of a, 
right. 35 or 36. We, 30, 35. Uh-huh. It should have been a one-on-one match there. And it mm-hmm. wasn't. And I was like, okay, well, we can do it down the road. And everybody thought, you know, this was going to be it. And I do agree with you that this feels like a thrown-together thing. It's, it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like how the mighty have fallen. At one point in time, Becky Lynch was the hottest star in the company. Yep. Dare I say, many people said, oh, my gosh, you could be like, you know, the, the, the female version of a Steve Austin. Like, she's the next, yeah. like, crossover star. And now she's just, she's one half of the women's tag team champions with uh, Lita, which, okay, but Lita is, you know, in her late 40s, well past her prime. And now, if they would have done a thing where it was like, you know, Trish and Lita challenging for the women's tag team titles, okay, uh, I could be on board for something like that. Sure. But I, you know, the, you know, the legends, you know, Team Bestie, they never got it. You know, I could, I could, I could even, some, even they would have gone with that route. And if they hadn't played out the whole Bailey versus uh, Becky thing over and over again on, on, um, all the other events played to death, you know, you could have had two interesting stories there. How we have it now, it's, um, you know, basically, as you said, you just kind of thrown together. To me, it's a waste of Becky Lynch, and it's a waste of Trish Stratus and Lita, quite frankly. And the only thing that is has a peak of interest to me in, in, in this one, I have a belief, uh, a theory, that someone is turning heel at sure. WrestleMania. Someone's right. turning. And this one, as the rumors have been circulating around for the potential of a um, Trish Stratus heel turn to face Becky Lynch later on down the road at SummerSlam, which I'm here, I'm I'm all for that. That sounds like a great, great idea. I just don't think this is where the turn happens. I think we might see a seed for it, but I don't think the turn happens at WrestleMania only because Trish has already turned at WrestleMania. And I do think a turn is going to happen. But we'll discuss that. Uh, that'll come later on. When that comes up, we'll discuss that one. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, I would say this is going to be the bathroom break match, but it's not. This might be the refill your drinks uh, match. But, um, unfortunately, we have a couple of that are going to be the bathroom breaks of this one. I think that all of the women will bring their working boots on. Um, at the end of the day, I guess damage control going over because, I mean, again, they're going to be there Monday. Right. <laughs> I hate to say that, but... And, and, you know, they, they kind of, they lost all sorts of momentum since SummerSlam and a big win, a win uh, over, you know, the, the number one female star in the company and two Hall of Famers could, could be the only positive that could come out of this. So I say damage control. So look for uh, Lita, Trish, and Becky to squash them. Okay. Well, depending on, <laughs> yeah, depending on how it goes here, this is one of these things and again, there's no reinflating that balloon. Damage control was a stable that had potential, but they just haven't been able to make it work. And as far as it goes with Becky Lynch, I cannot be accused of misgendering her because she was known as the man when I say that she's become just another guy because that's what they've done. And you're right. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible shame. It's a terrible waste. She was a supremely hot act at that time, and deservedly so. She had that stone cold. Endorsed by The Rock. Yes, yes. I mean... On the debut of SmackDown and Fox, endorsed by The Rock. They don't put you in that spot yeah. unless, you know, they see big things with you. And that, unfortunately, you know, she's got to recover from that awful heel turn. Like, when she came back yeah. and, like, somebody gave her what she wanted, I'm like... Yeah. You left as the most popular star, and you left because you're giving birth to your child. Yeah. And because she wanted to play villain, it was like, okay. And it just, you know, and, and, you know, we were talking about looking back at WrestleMania 17. That could very easily be 
Steve Austin at WrestleMania 18, wrestling in the middle of the card, a lukewarm match against Scott Hall. Uh, I'm not saying that this ma this match is well below even that, but I mean, this is Becky Lynch getting misused in a similar way to Steve Austin. Again, like you said, because of uh, no nobody had the common sense to say, let's not turn our biggest star heel. And uh, that was just uh, absolutely ridiculous. I, I realized they were trying to build Bianca, and they have succeeded in building Bianca. We'll get to that subsequently, but there had to be better ways of doing it than that. Uh, the next match here is one that you told me that you were you told me off air you were marking out for this as a possibility here. Uh, Brock Lesnar almost with MVP a singles match, and this is a thing where yeah, I mean I will say the novelty factor of Brock throwing around a big guy like this. I mean this is interesting, and it's funny because again. Brock has been known to veto matches against other big guys. He didn't want any part of, and I, who can blame him for this, the whole circus uh, with uh, whatever the hell is going on with Bray Wyatt the last couple of years and, and that the, the funhouse crap. And, you know, Brock Lesnar shouldn't be sucked into something like that. But he's always gone out of his way to, be able to point at, like, hey, what about AJ Styles? Hey, what about Finn Balor? Hey, what about whatever? Because he knows those are the guys that can make him look good. So I'm going to say this, for your optimism about it being a good match, Brock Lesnar has always been very, very, very underrated for his savvy about who he can have these great matches and great moments with. So he must see almost as having at least enough athleticism to be able to keep up with him and have some memorable moments and make this match count for something here. Brock would not be wrestling this guy. He's got the stroke to avoid it if he wanted to. He would not be wrestling this guy uh, if it was going to be the crap show that a lot of people are fearing it might be. Um, to correct you real quick, Rick, I never said it was going to be a good match. Okay, okay. I just said I, I, just said I was looking forward okay, to my bad. the spectacle of it. Gotcha. Much like last year, I was very much looking forward to Lashley versus Omos. Why? with everything I thought it was going to be. Oh. Two big horses. That's exactly what I wanted. Two bulls colliding at each other like that. I, I'm a, it's like, I told, like I told you off air. It's like a Godzilla Universal movie monster fight. I like, I, you know, like the old Japanese Godzilla movies. They're going at, no, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a polished five-star catches catch can classic, but it's a spectacle. And that's what it's there for. People see it, they see these two big big behemoths of human beings. So, I mean, if this thing goes over like six minutes, I'll be I'll be amazed. Right. right. Um, what we're I mean, what we're all here for and what the uh, the WWE is going to try to spin as they're going to try to basically they're going to try to sell Brock Lesnar f fiving Omos as the modern day equivalent of Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant. Right. It's not going to be, but they're going to do everything in their power. To sell it as, oh my God, look how you know amazing and impressive it is, and it will be a, a, a sight to behold, and it will be a feat. And I mean, you know, anybody, you know, we said you, know, you got to look towards the future uh, for the previous matches, but unfortunately, I think we've reached the ceiling of what we're getting with Omas. Omas is, a, you know, he's not going to tear down the house or anything. As, as I told you off air, he's he's better than the great Kali. But that's not exactly a high bar to set yourself for, right. you know? I, I think it would go, you know, El Gigante, Great Kali, Omos. Because there's only so much that a guy who's seven foot three can do. And 
And I think put in this situation, quite frankly, you know, for Brock, it'd be like, it'd be like it'll be leg day. <laughs> just, you know, yeah. he tosses him around a couple times, it'll create a visual, and Brock's going over because the entire build to this has been homage, just, you know, hitting one move and Brock, like, intimidating, can he stop him? Which clearly he can, because last he did it last year. Yeah. So they've done a very good job of that. Now, um, there's been some theories coming up that, you know, the idea of perhaps the Hurt Business reunites here and beats down Brock. I don't see anything like that happening. I see it being a spectacle match is what it is. Brock Lesnar, under 10 minutes. Uh, I'll, I'll go six and a half minutes. Um, you know, he does like, I'm not going to take the 10 German suplexes, but he does take it to Suplex City. I'll go with the, we'll go with four, four or five, and then an F5, one, two, three. Right. I mean, what they're going to be aspiring to, which they're not going to make it to the point of, but I think it was uh, WrestleMania, what was it, 33? Uh, the, the, the greatest uh, five-minute sprint of all time. Lesnar and Goldberg, where do you moms, we came to drop bombs. Five minutes of just awesomeness. You're not going to get that here. You're not going to get, you know, if you get like three-fifths of the awesomeness of that match uh, for the length it goes, be happy. But, uh, again, and this is a thing, too, you talk about the savviness of Brock Lesnar. This is a thing where, again, they had to reinflate Omos a little bit here because, again, uh, he just, and, and, and this is one of the things here, too. This is why guys that are that big, they're, it's very challenging for them to have a shelf life because if you're that big, you have to either be at the top of the card or you're gone because the suspension of disbelief can't be there. That's why I always said, the worst enemy of David Otunga was his body. Like, that guy needed to just spend six months in a sauna shriveling away. Because, like, David Otunga, with his body, had to be toward the top of the card. Because it would expose the business if he wasn't. And it was like, and it's the same thing with Omas. So they had to reinflate him for these purposes. They're not going to be able to keep him reinflated. I.e., this is a guy Brock Lesnar can beat. Brock Lesnar needs to keep piling up wins like this in order to stay viable... I mean, it was a year ago where when he lost to Roman Reigns, uh, again, we wondered if he'd have any kind of shelf life left. Meanwhile, he's getting fattened up by guys like Lashley and Omos to where, listen, it could be Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes at SummerSlam. Like, Lesnar is staying relevant by picking up wins like this. So That is Brock Lesnar completely reinvented his, his character. He did. I mean, he's still, like, he's still, like you know, he's, it's, you get the same basic match with him, but for the longest time, it was like he was the one note, you know, Paul Heyman spoke for him, and everybody was of the belief that he hated people. Well, we now have the, we see that he still hates people, but he is very good at playing, like Brock Lesnar coming out as the, the cowboy country Brock is my favorite version of Brock Lesnar ever. It's like, who is this guy, and what did you do with the Brock Lesnar that I knew? But yeah. at the same time, it's like, he, uh, th- th- this is going to be the, the key to this. It looks like he's having fun. Yes. As opposed to just doing it because it's his job. Yes. It looks like for the first time ever, he, you know, I, I joked around with people, I say, you know, Brock living in Canada, I'm pretty sure he has a wheat farm up there now that kind of mellowed him out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's like, you know, it just looks like, you know, you, they say, oh, you're probably getting to see the real him. I think both sides are the real him. Yeah. But the version we're getting now is, and, you know, let's not forget, it was, you know, not too long ago where fans hated him because yep. they viewed him as a part-timer who just came in and made big money. Nothing's changed. He's still a part-timer. Granted, he comes in for a few more dates now. Nothing's changed. It's just the demeanor that it's like, oh, okay, he's fighting. He's, like, he's our guy that, 
Yeah. As opposed to like you know, and the thing that's going to benefit for Brock also, he has a been that final boss character in in having a stranglehold over one of the world championships as he did for six years now. Right. I think this is in the you know the perfect role for him to be in, and as you said, uh, him beating an Omas, it you know gives. He heats Brock right back up again, gives him enough time. You said um, uh, Cody Rhodes at SummerSlam, which, you know, that could be a theory. I'm going to go with one that I want to see at SummerSlam just for selfish reasons. I want to see Brock Lesnar go for the one belt that he's never had, and it's also going to spoil who I think is going to win. I want Lesnar to be Gunther at SummerSlam for no reason other than to say, you know, Gunther saying, I beat everybody. There's nobody else for me to beat. And Lesnar's coming on going, I never won that belt. I'll come fight you. Ultimate Haas fight. That would be friggin' amazing. Uh, and not, not to be Nelson nitpicker, I don't think uh, Lesnar's ever been a tag champ either. But yeah, as far as the singles belts, you're absolutely right. Well, that he'll win, the, he'll, he'll win them both by, by himself <laughs> next Friday on SmackDown. Yes, yes. And uh, well, that that and the cruiserweight belt, which they don't have anymore. He's never held that one either. But Lesnar, look, as far actually, as. Actually, he's never held any belt other than the world champion. That is that. That's incredibly impressive, uh, actually. But <laughs> you know, he's never had a secondary belt ever. Well, he of came. Any kind. He came I mean, in at the top of the card. Too, yeah, he came in at the top of the card, and he's been there ever since. That's unique in the history of wrestling. Uh, I will say this, as far as it goes with Lesnar, again, that this this whole notion that like, and not very good self awareness on his part all these years that he thought that, and I saw like the interview he did with Steve Austin where he talked about being socially awkward or whatever. Not his words, my words, but it's a thing of like to not realize that you had this in you. Uh, how dumb do you got to be? Because you know he had this in him all along, clearly, and uh, should have tapped into this earlier. Like you said, people give a lot more credit. He looks like he's having fun. He's he's a face right now. He has to be a face with this persona. It's almost like to go real old school as far as special attraction. It's like Roughhouse Fargo in Memphis back in the day, decades oh, ago. Uh, that's a deep cut right there. <laughs> that is um, a deep cut. To, to jump on what you said real quick about him having it inside, inside all along, yeah. he had Paul Heyman, who Paul Heyman is still a thousand times better promo than Brock Lesnar is. True. And if you have that, and quite frankly, let's be honest, what's the old saying? Work smart, not hard. <laughs> you know? True. If you're going to get paid an exorbitant amount of money to show up and stand there and dance around, right. hey, it's not a bad gig if you can get it. Right, right. But, uh, you know, you're right. It worked then, and, but this and, is and working. And it also out. may also be a... a a thing of self-confidence, because if you remember when Lesnar first came back from the UFC, he was terrible on the mic. It was awful. Yes. That's what they brought him in to begin with. It was just like abysmal to watch. Like, oh, ugh, bad. He's a well, Yeah, but it was bad scripting. They were forcing him into being a heel character when everybody wanted to cheer him against Cena. He had bad material to work with. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like the thing of like Triple H, although he was being political even then. Where he was like, oh, I was just a crappy babyface in 02. Well, again, the material that he had sucked, but he couldn't say that because Stephanie was in charge of creative. So it's like, you know, a lot of times people sit and think they can't do a certain thing, but nobody can do anything with, with really crappy material. And, uh, you know, Brock is proving that now with what he's able to do. Uh, the aforementioned Bianca Belair uh, referenced her uh, as far as uh, Becky Lynch's disastrous heel turn at SummerSlam back in uh, 21. Uh, Bianca Belair uh, subsequently uh, getting established last year uh, by, by finally beating Becky Lynch once and for all. And uh, wrestling Asuka, who is one of our all-time favorites, 
So this should be a great match. Bianca manages to always have very athletic matches, and uh, she is somebody where she's actually, it's funny because she's similar to Becky Lynch. She's so much bigger on the main roster than she was in NXT, as was the case with Becky. Becky like had a good run in NXT, but but she wasn't anywhere near on the level of Bailey and Charlotte, uh, you know, and and Sasha. And uh, Becky turned out to be uh, having the biggest upside for whatever period of time on on the main roster. And Bianca had a nice run in NXT, but has been you know, very, very, very huge in this regard. And, uh, again, is somebody that they trust to make a lot of media appearances. I saw her as a Tennessee fan. I was cheering when they had her cheering on Tennessee on uh, ESPN game day in the fall here. Like, Bianca is somebody that they love to send out there uh, and represent the company. Asuka is probably being used just to kind of fatten her up at this point because that's where Asuka's at in this point of her career. So I, I can't criticize it in that way. I mean, I'd I like to see Asuka get another run on top, but there's only so many spots to go around. And, uh, again, they have this big investment in Bianca. It will mean a lot for Bianca to beat Asuka with her track record. Should be a really good match. So unlike the previous women's match that I crapped all over, I'm not going to crap on this one. I mean, the build, you know, is what it is. But, I, I, again, the, the match we get out of it should uh, end up rectifying things. I think there's something special in Bianca in of that she reminds me a lot of a, uh, a 2006 John Cena. And what right. I say by that is I can very much see the crowd clamoring to turn her heel. And I say this because her whole gimmick of being the best, the uh, you know, the quickest, the fast, fastest, whatever, the EST, that is basically one minor tweak away from going from confidence to arrogance and cockiness. And I think there is so much untapped potential that is in there with a, a heel run for Bianca as remaining the champion, much as how when Cena in 2006, when he uh, beat Shawn Michaels over in 07, people were hating him. They were just clamoring for somebody, anybody, to, to, to beat him. And, like, you know, they just hated the whole idea of he was this goody two-shoe. They hated it that he was the face of the company. Right. They hated the idea that, the, the, much like Roman Reigns later on, and I can see if, if WWE's not careful, I can see Bianca Belair going down. I can see it right now. Her going down a very similar path like that. And my only thing is, with Triple H being in charge of creative, uh, knock on wood, hopefully that he still is for you know the, the foreseeable future or uh, enough to be able to see, like, okay... There is money in a heel version of Bianca because let's face facts. Everybody likes you know they like to cheer for somebody, but once you keep winning, eventually they're going to want to see you fall. Yeah. And I think we could see the, the the moments of that happening here because what else is other than a like as as far as being a baby face goes, what else is left for Bianca Belair to do? Assuming she gets past Asuka, there isn't really a whole lot. That is uh, the only thing I can think of is a potential matchup with a heel Charlotte Flair. That's about it. And I think, you know, there's a couple. And if you want to go back and revisit the Becky Lynch story, you could reverse the roles on this one and have it the man and the ESP. Because if you remember, it wasn't the man Becky Lynch. It was big time Bex, which is stupid, but it is a little bit of a tweak. I think... Again, I told you, I think we're going to see a turn happen at, Wrestle, at WrestleMania. This isn't the match where it happens, but I think we start 
I yes. think this might be the first time you see with that crowd that's kind of like going, okay, you know what? We want Asuka to win because she's been shafted for a long time, and we want her to have that moment. You remember her run happened during the her championship run happened during the pandemic. Right. There was no fans there, so the fans that have been behind her, you know, never got that that satisfying moment for her and you know when she inexplicably lost to Charlotte Flair when she won the Royal Rumble they were denied back then so I say I see Bianca Belair going over and I I say that you know um, much as the Wrestlemania crowd has done in the past I say we start to see the crowd turning on Bianca a little bit um, just based on the fact of like nothing that she has done I don't see her doing like too many like heel moves or anything in this to win, I see her winning as like you know, standing triumphant, twirling her hair like the baby face that she is, because that's what they have to do as a baby face and smile and do the same thing every week. Right. But I think we slowly, especially, I, I think the crowd responding to her and what happens at this could lead to some stuff in the future, and we could get a really, really nice heel run with her, and especially with um, them having a reality show coming out with her and Montez Ford. I think there's also, I think there's also potential that we could see. Uh, those two aligned on TV as, as heels in the future. Very possibly. A couple things to react to there. First of all, you're talking about a heel run, and I can't help but think, as you sort of referenced there, uh, tell me it's not going to be big-time Bianca. Please please tell no. me it's not going to be that. No, 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 it's the exact same thing. And she's still the EST. She's better than you. Okay. She's proven that. She's just the best. Well, and let's face facts. People, people love to cheer for a winner until they don't. Well, true. Until something, until something new comes along. Right. And the quote, what is that something new? I don't know. But I also have a feeling that's the reason why the, the WWE didn't do Bianca and Rhea Ripley also. Right. Because they knew what the reaction would be. So it'll be interesting to see if it, you know, still, we, they still get the reaction. I think, I think it's going to be a, let's just say, a mixed reaction for her. And... Do they capitalize on it, or do they go the full Cena route and never turn her heel and really take everybody off? You know, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And again, I was thinking the crowd even before you said it because it's a smart, happy crowd. Us smarts, we love Oscar. She's beloved by us. She's had a great run. We always want to see her get all the accolades possible. They can never act heelish on TV, but crowds don't always abide by what they're supposed to do. So. Yeah, it, it could be the crowd going into business for itself a little bit here, cheering Asuka, or at the very least a split crowd, uh, which is going to make it interesting. The match, which is main eventing night one here, to me inexplicably, because uh, I think there are a couple matches I'd clearly put over this. Uh, Charlotte Flair defending the SmackDown Championship against Rhea Ripley, and this is one where, with Bianca, of course, defending the Raw Championship, so this is one where, again, Rhea, I think we agree, should have gone over a couple of years ago over Charlotte at WrestleMania. Uh, Charlotte, this time around, inexplicably in the role as babyface. It's not going to last long as it didn't uh, previous times uh, for very long because there's always a limited amount of shelf life when you, when you do that there. Uh, Rhea Ripley really getting over in her uh, role with the Judgment Day. Uh, but again, she's so central to that storyline, it is kind of weird putting her in a championship match because it's a little bit of sort of like split focus for her storyline-wise. And this is a thing where, again, as undeniably one of their biggest stars going forward and one of the very best in the ring, 
Uh, this is the type of match that should be a showcase where she goes over. I'm guessing by the placement on the card that that may very well be the case, but uh, much like LOL, Cena wins again, LOL, Charlotte wins again, was sort of the mantra for much of the 2010s going into the 2020s. So who the heck knows on this one? Gun to my head. I, I, I'm thinking it'll probably be Charlotte. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong on that. I, uh, I mean, you, you can never bet against Charlotte Flair. She's obviously one of the, the chosen ones within that company. However, I think this is going to be a situation where they do put the belt on Rhea Ripley, um, especially with picking Bianca to retain. So there'll be that little bit of a, cha of a, a changing of the guard there. Um, and coming out of this, they got to do something, you know, with the, the Judgment Day guys, I guess. And hopefully this leads to her kind of like branching off a little bit and becoming more of her own character. And uh, don't get me wrong, like she made me give a crap about Dominic Mysterio if you would asked me a year ago. I'd be like, why is he even on my TV? And now he's one of the most entertaining things on the show. Right. Sure we'll get to him when we, when we get to him. But um, uh, this is going to be a situation where you know, as much as they've tried to make Charlotte Flair the babyface in this, totally miscast on it um, going into this. That crowd is going to be 100% behind uh, Rhea Ripley. She, she's going to get that WrestleMania moment with the championship. And then the question is, you know, where do you go from there? And I think with Charlotte Flair, I think Charlotte Flair, honestly, she goes away again until she has to come back and win the belt again. Because, quite frankly, that's what her gimmick is. And I, they pretty much said as much on her documentary that she's going to be the one to break Ric Flair's record. Right. And I could see that happening. And she can't get to step 17 unless she loses. So, you know, she's going to, I see her putting over uh, Bianca. I'm sorry, not Bianca, putting over Rhea. Um, maybe doing a rematch at the next, whatever the next premium live event is. And then, you know, taking some time off, maybe, or heck, even taking some time off and returning for the rematch at SummerSlam. And then they do, they do the match with the proper. Uh, dynamic, heel face dynamic that's going down. But then again, as you said, LOL, Charlotte Flair wins. So, who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and uh, hopefully uh, she can coordinate her vacation to the next time that Andrade pie faces Sammy Guerrero backstage so that uh, they can coordinate their vacation time again together. But, uh, you know, as far as it goes here, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Charlotte is going to be wanting to get that record again. If I was if I was fantasy booking this some bitch, it would have been uh, Becky Lynch against Ronda Rousey one on one. And again, I, I'm in favor of doing what they did with the tag titles and the men's heavyweight championship and unifying it. I would have had heel Charlotte Flair against uh, Bianca in a unification match. I would have done this here. But that's not the direction I, they chose I to go. I agree with you. That was actually my fantasy book, too. So. Really? Okay. Great yeah. minds think alike, Jake Digman. Great minds think alike. And uh, in looking at Wikipedia here, they're not necessarily sure which of these other matches are going. I have a feeling which of these other matches is going night one. But uh, So most of these will be night two. But uh, I'm going to lead with this one here. This is probably going to be a night two match. Intercontinental Championship, uh, big men slapping, meaty men slapping meat, uh, trademark Big E. Uh, Gunther, Intercontinental Champion against Sheamus, against Drew McIntyre. Uh, I think, again, it would have been a better match if it was uh, Gunther against Drew Mack straight up, uh, but they want to run it with all three of them in there. And it is going to be a spectacle, a three-way Haas fight. You don't get to see too many of those. I'm pretty confident under the circumstances we're going to see Gunther retaining at the end. 
It would be the WrestleMania moment if Sheamus wins because he would be doing what he was unable to do at the September pay-per-view over there in the UK where he had a chance to add the Intercontinental title to every other title that he has held with the company here. Although, uh, the funny thing is, I was going to say, I don't have a memory of him being tag team champions. Duh, the bar. Okay, I, I was thinking to myself, how did I put that out of my head the entire period of time? But anyway. Okay, we, we, we all did. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably five minutes after it happened, right? But, uh, I, was there, I was there when he won the belt, I forgot about it. <laughs> but uh, listen, again, you know, Gunther is just, you know, the epitome of awesomeness. And uh, again, seeing him in, a, in the position that he deserves to be in and delivering in these matches uh, is one of the absolute best things they've done in recent years. I'm going to be 100% selfish on this, and I think you will agree with me on this one, because uh, you, you are also a fellow Walter Guther fan. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when they first changed his name, I was really annoyed. But now when you look at him, he doesn't look like Walter. He looks like a completely different person. He does. So it made it a lot easier to get behind him. I was like, oh, okay. He doesn't look <laughs> like, that's not Walter. That's a completely different guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, I think, and obviously based on you know what we've seen with the bloodline, that Triple H and the WWE have no problem doing this, it's time for the honky-tonk man's record to go down. And Gunther is the perfect guy to do it. It adds such legitimacy to that Intercontinental Championship, which is it's a constant conversation at nausea about how it needed rehabilitated, rehabilitated, rehabilitated. Well, it is on the guy who can do the who's in the process, in the midst of that rehabilitation. And I think, you know, that we're going to see him be the one to break his record. I heard somebody, uh, I forget who it was, one of the names brought up is somebody much further down the road after he uh, breaks the after he breaks the Honky Tonk Man's record. A couple names thrown out there. One of them was a, a broad breaker as a potential to be the guy to yes. end that reign, which would be absolutely perfect. And I would have zero problems with that. But in the here and now, uh, as I stated earlier, because I want to see Brock and Gunther at SummerSlam, I don't, I no, we'll probably won't get it. But you know, a guy can dream, can't he? Um, we'll have you know, it's going to be a an entertaining meaty hoss fight that I'm here for. This is my kind of wrestling that I love. Where you know, there's brutal back and forth. We're you know, going at it. Um, I you know, at the end of the day, I think it's going to look like you know, Sheamus is about to get that moment, and Gunther sneaks in and steals it. Retains the championship, beats the odds. Um, however, I also have the fear because this is the L WWE LOL that Sheamus broke kicks Drew and pins, pins him, and they still go, Well, Gunther's still undefeated. Yep. And they try to sell that crap, which is like, Don't do that. Yep. Go with what's working, keep the belt on Gunther, keep it on him until break. <laughs> Bring back Santino's honkometer, and let's just, you know, don't actually bring it back on TV. That's making a reference for you. Um, you popped me. You know, you, 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 got a, you got a star here in the making that can work and is believable. And he's got the two guys that are heaters that can, you know, take the losses and take the bumps for him. So uh, I'm going with Gunther here and what should be another match that could potentially steal the show. Uh, and uh, this is one. Uh, this is one of the ones that I'm very much looking forward to. But uh, Walter Gunther all the way in 2023. Absolutely. And uh, if if he was to get asked in an interview why why he is uh, Gunther, he could be like, Walter was the version of me that had a gut. This is Gunther now. But uh, I just assumed it's his last name. Oh, okay. Well, you know, could be uh, Walter Gunther. Walter, Walter Gunther. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey. We, we never knew his last. We never knew his last name. 
that makes as much sense as anything. By the way, you popped me with that Honko meter reference. I will return the favor. You and I were joking off air about uh, Meltzer and the stars and everything like that. And both of us have some issues with the way that he's been applying stars here. And I said to you, he never should have gone over five stars. And this thing of like six and three quarters is like ridiculous. Here, here's me popping you on my reference to that. I guess we can blame Dave Meltzer for our inflation problem in this country, Jake Digman. <laughs> Who knew? Yes. <laughs> it was Meltzer all along, damn it. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. So if we go by inflation, then does that mean Kurt Angle did get five stars? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Jake, by, by the measure of 2023 stars, okay, if you were to apply those stars back to the currency of 2000, then Kurt Angle would have wrestled a nine-star match against Eddie Guerrero, maybe. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, let me tell you something. The nerdiness that pro wrestling fans can get into with this kind of stuff is just not to be believed. And that's my favorite kind of humor. And the the people listening to this right now are going, what the heck? What what, what are they talking about? It's like, uh, it's... uh... Keep up with us, audience. I, I, I promise you, it's uh, you know, it's a joke with old line that that uh, WWE Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer Dusty Andy Kaufman once said, and man, they said it to Andy Kaufman, a man on the moon. It's like this is a joke that only two people find funny. Yeah, and we think it's hilarious. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>